Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Good afternoon and good night. Welcome to Stories of the Streets, hosted by me, David R. Woodson of Blackcent. What's up, y'all? It's Jasmine with the New Black Collective. Today we have a special guest. You want to go ahead and introduce yourself? So my name is Michelle Love, and I am a recently former CPS caseworker. All right. <clears throat> thank you for so, coming. Yeah, thank you for coming. Um, today on our show, we're going to be talking about... Um, Racism, systematic oppression within the CPS system. So, you know, Michelle, you want to kind of tell us what you experienced? Yeah, so some of the concerns are that, you know, um, child abuse obviously affects everybody across the board. But definitely when you're African-American or Hispanic, it's it's an added level of trauma that you have um, because you experience situations in which the people who are in positions to help you have the ability to also work against you. Um you know, some of the things that you see are that you can have a family that's white and they may have some of the same issues that a black family has in terms of why the children are removed or the intervention that's necessary. But you see that it's being made harder for the black family to complete the services that they need to complete or um, just one specific reference is drug use, you know. Um, you might have a white family who this family is using methamphetamines, which is a serious mind-altering drug. And not to say that marijuana is good or that you should use it, but it also shouldn't be treated as that use of someone who's doing methamphetamines. They're two different things. However, um, as an African-American, you can be subjected to life being made harder for you in that system because you are that. And it's microaggressive racism. You know, there's never anything that's going to be um, blatant enough that these families recognize that they're being treated right. um, differently on that basis. So it's it's microaggressions that you see. Okay, and I guess we should just ask you, you know, how long you um, were an uh, employee working in the CPS system just so people don't think, oh, she had this short-lived experience and this is just her opinion. So I've actually worked within the child protection system since about 2001, so about 19 years now. So you know what you're talking that's about. That's a long time. <laughs> yeah, that's that's some experience. Right. And, and just three years here in Texas to clarify, but, I mean, it's it's basically the same in every city, to be honest. I right. just want to ask if you thought that it was <clears throat> more difficult, you know, here in Texas, or did you or do you have a place where you feel like um, was kind of the worst in terms of how, you know, the oppressive this was placed on families and stuff? Um, I don't think that it's any more or less difficult here. I do think coming from where I come from, because I'm from Colorado, and so the number of African-Americans and Hispanic here um, outnumber us in that regard. So you see more of it here because there's right. more of us here. Right. I guess a question that I have is um, not really a question, but 
um, from life experience and things like that. You just, like you said, you know, there could be one situation where a white family will have maybe a more hard drug usage going on or a more strenuous situation in their life, and they get more of an opportunity to, you know, have their children back or, you know, work on getting their custody, you know, reinstating things like that. Whereas with people of color, it's like one and done. And it's like, you know, we were talking about earlier, you know, just chatting. They have to go to these classes. They have to do these things. And they're also expected to keep a job. And so I know from personal experience that that's a reality for a lot of people. And I guess um, is that – like those programs and these classes, and I know some people have to go to like counseling and different things like that. Is that something that's enforced for everyone, or do you see that that's a thing that's more um, of a a set thing for people of color? Um, the situations are unique in that they come up with the services based on what they think that you need. But I think one level that we're dealing with as African-Americans specifically is that, um, for example, when we go to counseling and most of the counselors that we have access to are white, one thing about when you're African-American, you need to have more people in that position that can help you. Because as African-Americans, when we go to therapy, we spend a good portion of our time just trying to explain the dynamics of our family and culturally how they work. Right. Because if you don't understand that, it's hard to even get to the rest of it. So if you're a, whether you're a traumatized child trying to go to a counselor or you're an adult who has had some issues with drug use or whatever the case may be, trying to spend most of those sessions that you only have, you know, this year in order to start addressing things. And for some people in that time frame, it's just getting a, a hang on how to do things so that you can keep your job, complete the program that they're asking you to keep and not have those two things conflict. And now the added layer of trying to explain to your therapist how your family works culturally so you guys can art actually start addressing the issues that you have. So it does make it hard for them. Right. <clears throat> and I, I often wonder about that because I know just we have the stigma in the black community about counseling in general. And um, the only reason I know about the counseling is because, you know, like I said, personal experiences, people that I know going through, you know, battles with CPS. And I've always wondered, like, with counseling, I know how it is. When you first go in, you're unpacking. And if you're unpacking, how do you have time to fix the things that they want you to fix, like you said, within a year? Because it takes more time. And if they're giving you a time limit to get better, it's like, is that really helping? Or are you trying to force a healing that's not, you know, it's not doable within you? You can't give somebody a year to heal because that they may need more time, but... I think that we forget some people, they just have a bad day and then they lose their children, which is really the case for a lot of people. They have one bad day, they aren't bad parents, something just happened, and now they're in this situation that they can't undo. And people are telling them, you know, every move they make, is there's a stipulation to it. Well, if you do this, you're not going to get your kids, and if you do that, you're not going to get them back, and you better do this or we're going to take them if you have them, you know. So I always, you know, wonder how – their psychological is affected. And I know they go to counseling, but like you said, a year <laughs> to figure it out when, let's say, somebody's in their late 20s. They, they've they spent 20-something years doing the same things, and mm -hmm. their kid could be like, hey, I've been parenting this way for eight years. I made one mistake, and I did this thing, and now you're telling me to come in and change everything that I know within a year. Um, 
I feel like the the system should be about more about actual rehabilitation mm-hmm. is what I'm getting at. And that's what more, a lot of systems yeah. used to be. Our yeah. prison system had the same issue. Yes, because I feel like we want to hammer down on people's throats, but we never want to rehabilitate people. Right. So I think that, in my opinion, this is my opinion, everybody, <laughs> um, we should really focus on rehabilitating people, making sure that they heal so that we have better parents, we have better citizens. But I think, like what you said, giving them a time frame to get it together, it's like, but you want me to do this, you want me to do that. I'm not an octopus. <laughs> I can't be stretched right. in that way. So, yeah. Or at least trying to find more flexibility in the system that allows for you to maybe have more providers that are available on a weekend or after hours so that you're um, flexible in the times that people have to do these things so that they don't feel like they're torn between keeping a job that's going to feed their family and keep a home or going to go do these classes that I might get fired because I can't do both. And your job doesn't care that CPS is saying do these things or get your children. CPS doesn't have a lot of sympathy and room for you to wiggle in in terms of these services. And some of the racial disparities are in that you have children who get removed from a mother. Like a specific example would be a child gets removed from the mother, not the father. They call the father, hey, we have your kid here. He comes, he's a working man, he has doesn't have any criminal history, doesn't have anything that's preventing him from getting his child. In that situation, whether he's white or black, in both situations, he will get the child. The difference being that if he's a white father, CPS will immediately close that case and say, we have no concerns, you take your child, sir, and go on and live a great life. When you're a black man, it's like, oh, you know what, we need to monitor this situation for six months. We're not just going to close it. We're going to monitor the situation. But there's no difference in the black man and the white man in that they just have a complexion that's different. And so when you see that happening repeatedly, it can't be me. I can't be crazy. This has to be an unfair right. system. Real thing. Right. It's like looking at, um, especially this year, and this year I feel like really woke up um, a lot of the holes in systems that this like you know country has set up. And the more and more I think about it, and then now listening to you talk about, you know, kind of the CPS system, because I'm not really, you know, I've, I've seen it and I have friends and families that have gone through it and still go through it, but I've never experienced it firsthand. So I never was aware to, you know, all the kind of racial like disparities within it. And do you think that's more because people of, you know, Hispanic and black, you know, ethnicity, um, you know, culture, do you think it's because they didn't have a seat at the table when all this was getting set up? Or do you think that the system that is set up is just set up against, you know, people of color? Just like, you know, based off your experience. Um, I absolutely think it has more to do with the fact that we didn't have a seat at that table. We didn't have a seat at the table and we weren't talking about how our children are affected. And it's it seems like if you're in a system that is working on any sort of racism, then it's going to be built against us and they're going to use the legal loopholes that they already have access to in order to make that happen. So in that specific um, example, in this case, they have the option to close or leave that case open and it's all about the person who's sitting in that seat and saying, I'm going to close this one for this man but keep it open for this one for six months. And so then you have to look at You know, when we're talking about things like voting, 
how how and when are we voting in the judges that oversee our CPS cases? Because there's one like one or maybe two judges for every county that you have and seven out of 10 kids who are in foster care are black or Hispanic. And you have to ask yourself if as a black person, I am, um, if we make up the least amount of the population, how come it's most of our kids that are in that system and our families are being torn apart and we're now subjecting kids to systems where oftentimes they get reabused in a foster home. Exactly. They get reabused in a, a group home or facility that they're supposed to be in. And so now you have a new cycle of children that were removed from their families, placed into these systems, and that cycle is just repeating itself over and over and over. Right. And I know from experience, um, a lot of those, a lot of the minority children that do get place with someone they do go through some type of abuse from their foster parent um whether it be mental physical whatever it is they go through some form of abuse because those people are trying to get them to be routine in a way that they routine people but they don't understand this child just came out of probably a traumatic situation and you're trying to change their behavior on the drop of a dime and it doesn't work that way um and also, just, like, the mental abuse. And I always wonder about our children of color, even within my own family, like, how are they being treated? Like, we don't know what's going on because a lot of the times the family doesn't get to have any communication. Nine times right. out of ten, there's no communication. And so um, I know personally for me, I always wonder, you know, are they really being taken care of? You took them from their parent because you thought that there was a problem, but you gave them to a complete stranger. And so it's like in... In those things, um, I know personally, they don't take into consideration other family members. A lot of time, they don't. Right. Well, and I think that there's um, two things working against us in that system. A lot of times, we do have family members that, you know, they can, they're willing and they're able to take a child, but they have this um, maybe assault charge from 10 years ago that, you know, hinders them from being able to do that. And you have other people with a completely clean record, and that's how they're able to provide a home for the child. But, you know, looking at these things on paper, we can't always tell. Um, I do think a bigger concern is that you have more white families that are fostering black children. And not that there's anything wrong with giving them that love, but you see a lot of children who culturally, they don't understand how to do their hair. They don't understand. Right. I mean, sometimes this is basic as they don't know that these kids need lotion. So for, for us, that might not seem right. like a big deal. But if you're a child who's already at maybe a predominantly white school and you're being made fun of for small things and now you're in a home where they don't know how to comb your hair and they don't know that you need any sort of moisturizer. And so that's, again, an added layer of your trauma that you're going to school and you're dealing with. So, again, collaboratively as a community, how can we who are African-Americans step up to make sure that children who are in group homes or um, foster care have access to mentors who have the ability to absolutely you know show yeah. your foster family that this is this is how you take care of dreads or this is how you I mean sometimes I've seen kids who were in white foster homes and and they didn't comb their hair for so long that at this point all you can do is shave it off because it's mad at me too so yeah I I think that there's a lot of a lot of layers and a lot of times when um, a person of color or just a black person um, tells people, you know, this is the experience that I had with CPS. This is what I know that this is going on in these homes. They don't believe us, and, or they act like we're over-exaggerating. But 
you're just reinforcing everything that I've known for myself without I, we just met today mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're just reinforcing everything that I I've already known. And I think that there's no awareness outside of the black community. So people don't really know, you know, these things are really happening. Like you said, no lotion. They don't know how to comb their hair. Just simple things. Certain like, foods. Like, right, like a lot of things that's like tied into like black culture that, you know, people are like, what does it mean to be black? And it's like, you don't, you don't necessarily like saying that because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all human. We all bleed red. But there are a lot of things that set us apart culturally that black kids miss out on if they're not, you know, with their people. Um, you still had some. Well, yeah, I just feel like sometimes, um, like she was saying, there's nothing wrong with, you know, the kids being fostered to a white family or any other family. But I feel like if those foster parents know that oh, I'm getting a black child or I'm getting a Hispanic child, I'm getting an Asian child, then they should take it upon themselves to say, I'm also getting their culture. What do I need to learn in order to provide them with the best care? Because a part of their upbringing is them knowing who they are and where they come from and what their culture is like. And I think that people need to take that in consideration, when they're, whether they're fostering, whether they're adopting, whatever it may be, a part of them is their culture. Their skin is black. It's always going to be black. And they need to know how to care for themselves because it's not just a physical thing. It's also a mental thing. They need, they need to know. And so I don't know how that and goes. I think on this side of things that I would just also like to see policies and procedures or um, I know in Colorado one of the things that they did is they committed um, or they created an independent um community of people that kind of oversaw like the different policies and procedures as they were being made in terms of CPS to make sure that, you know, um, first we have to figure out exactly how we need to help these families. And it's not to say that all of the services in place don't work, but more often than not, we need some checks and balances in place to make sure that a black father or a black mother is not being treated any differently than someone, or we need to be able to distinguish between Um, a black mother who she smokes marijuana versus a white mother who she's doing methamphetamines and her children were really placed in a situation where maybe the house almost burned down. She should not be given all of these opportunities and chances and chances and chances. And then this black mother who smoked marijuana one time and her neighbor got upset and called and said, I smell marijuana over there is being treated the exact same way when those are two totally different situations on the spectrum, you know, one is more severe than the other. But again, because you're black, you're being treated as if you did something as severely as this person. And that's not fair. So for me, I would just like to see um, or understand I'm trying to learn more about because that's the piece I didn't know. I left my job because it is frustrating to try to work through all of that on a regular basis. But then also understanding like who makes these policies and when, you know, it's it's important not just to know who we're voting for in presidential elections, but our That's local judges who are overseeing CPS cases, who oftentimes people might think in terms of being either a caseworker, a judge, an attorney, sometimes your biases really do play a part. They do. <clears throat> and if you're a white judge with certain biases, you may be inclined to treat people of color differently than you do white people because we're all human in that regard. We have the ability to make that error. But if it's not pointed out or if the client is the only person pointing it out, because if I'm the person under the radar and I'm in trouble 
in this CPS situation. Nobody's trying to hear me when I'm screaming that I'm being treated poorly because they just look at me like I'm the person who did something wrong to be in the system in the first place. Right. So now you don't hear me. So it takes for people who are not involved in that situation who can see it to speak up for them. And so we have to know when and how are we voting for those judges? How are we voting for those district attorneys that are overseeing people's lives? Absolutely. I'm glad you brought up, um, you know, procedures and stuff, because I, I was going to ask, you know, it's kind of like the obvious question. I was like, do you think that there should be some changes to, like, you know, the system and, like, you know, duh, that's you know, one of the reasons why you're here, you know, talking today. You want, you know, you want people to understand that these issues are happening and you want to see, you know, um, change within them. And I really had a really good question. I lost it. Um, I think that, do you think that the incentive from the government um, where they send money for people who take in, you know, kids and stuff mm-hmm, like that, mm-hmm. do you think that is a, I know, do you think that's a huge issue in these bad, you know, kind of apples who shouldn't be getting kids? Yeah. And do you think that if they got rid of that, we get more genuine people who want to take kids? Or do you think that a lot of people would disappear? Um, in terms of, you know, who actually wants to help take care of children? I mean, I think that it's a double-edged sword in the sense that um, you will have people that will find a way to abuse the system no matter what's going on. And reality is is that these families do need the incentive of the finances to take care of the kids that they're taking in because they are going to eat. You know, they are going to need things that are essential. And so on the one hand, you need that money. And so it's very difficult to regulate it in that sense. Um, But I think that they also, um, about eight months ago, they changed policy. So caseworkers used to be able to foster children as long as they didn't live in the same region. So in other words, I could live in Waco as a caseworker and I could foster a child from Houston. Well, about eight months ago, they just out of nowhere changed that rule and said that caseworkers can no longer foster children and in that sense I feel like you just took out an entire pool of people who really wanted to um, who can one pass their background check yeah. because you know that criminally and, and CPS wise they don't have history because they work for you and yeah. so it just knocked out an entire pool of people and so that's again a concern because it's it's um, babies of course are easy to place you know toddlers are easy to place and the thing that happens with um, African American especially boys is that you know, imagine that your mother is on drugs, your dad's never been there, and, and maybe you get molested in the home. Like, you have issues, you're angry, right? They put you in a facility where um, maybe you get upset, you call somebody a name and kick a refrigerator. Now you're 17, and they just called law enforcement on you. So now you're being arrested. You have a criminal record. Um, they want to place you on medication. And the within this system, they love to give these kids diagnoses, you know, what the heck is irritable mood syndrome? You know, yes, I'm, when people ask me questions that I don't like, maybe I'm irritated, but yeah. immediately it's like, oh, he's an angry, um, irritable boy. Now he's got this irritable mood syndrome and we want to place him on medication. And so what we're watching is systemically that our children are being placed on. I mean, what do you think that medication that you don't need does to your psyche? Yeah. Right. If you're taking that and. If you're a 17-year-old boy in that situation, I mean, you have the right to be angry, right? No. You are angry. But sometimes, you know, and, and it doesn't, you don't want it to be a color line because we all are affected by child abuse, whether we're black, white, Hispanic, or whatever. 
the difference is that more black children are being turned out as angry, aggressive, being diagnosed with all kinds of different things, placed on um, drugs that they shouldn't be placed on. And it's because they don't have people that look like us that stand up for them on that side. Right. And I... I tried the 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 medicating thing is been a thing for me as well because they do that all the time. Um, one ADD, one tantrum and you have ADHD. Yeah. They make up things like you just said, irritable, whatever they call it, <laughs> irritable. We're right. all irritable, especially in the mornings. Everybody's irritable. <laughs> like, so I think that that's another thing and. When you dig deeper into it, you start to see things that are more of an issue than what's on the surface. And I think that's one of the things is the medicating of these black and brown kids. And a lot of them, they're just being toddlers most of the time because that's when they get them. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, oh, he has ADD or she has ADHD. They need to be on medicine. Then you see these babies looking like zombies because they've dumped them up so much on these medicines Ritalin, whatever it may be, whatever they're giving them, they give them, you know, too too large of dosages or, you know, just the fact that they give it to them and they may not necessarily need those medicines. They just have to grow up and mature a little bit. And so I think that that's one thing that definitely bothers me because it's like, you know, you take a child from this age and you're giving them medicine for so long. Like you said, what do you think it does to their psyche? It like by the time they get to the age of a certain level of maturity, of course they're gonna be messed up because you did it and you planted mm -hmm. that seed, so they can't make decisions for themselves without being medicated. So of course, if they miss a day, yeah, it's gonna right. be an irritable situation. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think for me, my goal here today was more just to bring awareness to the fact that we have um, a problem across the board because again, for people who are poor. They don't have the same access to resources as people who have more money. So when you're in this particular system and maybe you've done something, unless it's egregiously abusive or neglectful, if you have money, you can skate easier through this system. If you're poor and you're relying on a court-appointed attorney who, attorney who basically works for the same people that are coming against you, you know, it, it makes your life harder. So it's really rigged for poor people in general, but there are... Um, things that really have to be looked at in terms of making sure that especially black and Hispanic children can grow up in safe places, that they can remain connected to their culture, that they can have opportunities that um, some of these kids, if they choose to sign themselves into extended care at 18, they can go on to college and they can get um, up to a doctorate degree, you know, and the the state is providing that for them as a part of being in the system. But a lot of times they don't even have just a safe, comfortable place that they can go. And there are people who do just want that check who will take them in. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that even with everything in the culture that's happening right now is that um, it's very sad because there are so many things that within that system are egregious and some of them preventable um, some of it is community, like parenting. I'm older. I'm in my 40s. So, you know, we community parented back then. I remember that um, when you lived on a block, everybody looked out for everybody else's right. kids. And a lot of time there was no need for CPS intervention because your neighbors were looking out for you or 
you know, the, the teachers were looking out for you. And I think that as a whole, we don't community ourselves or parents ourselves in that way anymore. Um, and so you do have kids that maybe she's just working. She's not a terrible mother, but she has to work like really odd hours. She can't afford babysitters. She doesn't qualify for any sort of daycare. So she left the kids by themselves and a freak accident happens. But man, if I could have just asked Davia across the street to keep an eye mm. on my kids while I'm working and, you know, we don't have that culture anymore. Yeah, that kind of, I feel like that stems into just how, you know, the world is now, too, with the reality. Like, my mom will, she hates me leaving my little sister behind, like, home by herself, even if I'm just getting something to eat. And it's, we have neighbors and stuff like that are, like, right there. But it just kind of, people don't have the same trust factor nowadays as they used to, I feel like. I agree. Um, I grew up the same way, and we got spankings by everybody. <laughs> and <laughs> anybody we got fed by everybody. And I was just talking to one of my childhood friends. I was like, we didn't even knock. We just went in the houses because we were that close, and I agree. Um, I think that losing the sense of community is really a big problem because, like you said, she could just be working late, and the kids have to be at home by themselves. And Well, she, and I think, Jasmine, you bring up a good point in that um, sometimes culturally, like in black families, we know that we sometimes have a different way of disciplining, which I, I do think that we are starting to elevate beyond, yeah. you know, whoopings. We're yeah. starting mm -hmm. to understand that you can talk to children and redirect them without having to, to physically you know, them. physically abuse them. But I also think that within the CPS system, sometimes there is um, a lack of understanding between mm -hmm. this is abusive and this, and is, this is discipline. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so I think that, you know, again, you can't treat someone who um, I spanked my child with my hand and I was heavy handed and he has a red mark versus this person who took. Um, an extension cord and hit the child and has right. a mark like we have to distinguish we can't treat everybody the same, same in terms of right. those things and culturally um, we are again raised differently and I think some of that is educating us too mm -hmm. and I know that a lot of times people hate to hear this but it is true they say you know um, the black community we have to do things on the inside to heal us from the inside out and so we do have to do more educating on how to appropriately discipline our children and not like have that. to, you know, because I didn't, I didn't discipline my kids the way that I was disciplined. Yeah. Um, and it works. And so some of that is um, educating us as well as on that. And I just think that as a whole, as a community, if we did more intervention on the front ends, we wouldn't even have to deal with a system that might be racist in terms right. of how they take these cases and treat each of them individually. Right. And I also feel like they take advantage of um, people of color because a lot of people of color doesn't know, they don't know what discipline is and what the law says abuse is. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like that's a point where they may push, push, push a little bit past what is actually legal and what's not legal because everybody says, Oh, it's illegal to discipline your child. It's not illegal. There is a law and it tells you exactly what, abuses and what discipline is but minority people don't know that and so I feel right. like that's another avenue where we are taking advantage of because you can still discipline your child it's your child it's the way that you're disciplining that's the mm -hmm. problem or on the flip side some of that is being Hispanic and, and the language barrier and yeah. you don't understand so sometimes you find yourself in a situation because you are 
Right. Hispanic, you don't understand the language. You don't understand what all of this is happening. And it's happening so fast. You know, here are these people. They're here to take the child. You don't even have time to maybe try to get someone who can communicate well with you to understand. Um, and they have sometimes what are called safety plans that they'll ask families to agree to. But if I don't understand your language and what exactly you're talking about, I could be agreeing to something and not understanding mm-hmm. that I'm telling you, you can take my child with you. So mm-hmm. um, I just think that it's it's a very flawed system. I think there's a lot of things that have to be changed, but I would definitely like to see an independent um, committee of people that they're not invested in CPS and they're not invested in, you know, the side of it with the um, legal parties like the judges and the attorneys. These are independent people who are overseeing these um, policies and procedures and streamlining them, one, because the other thing is that all caseworkers are overworked and way, way, way underpaid, like way overworked and way underpaid. And they're constantly being subjected to people's secondary trauma. And even now, as COVID was happening, these people have still had to go to work. They've still had to go into people's homes and be exposed to um, whatever they got over there. Whatever's going on over there. So, you know, always on call as well. They were constantly working and it it is a lot of, um, you know, being exposed to other people's trauma. And so it's a lot to deal with, but there needs to be streamlined processes also that make sure that you're not putting um, 50 or 60 kids on a person and expecting them to keep up with all of that. So it's just um, in general, but I definitely, one of the things that I'm researching is, you know, where, where, how are we voting these people in? When are we voting them in? When is, when are the judges getting voted in? Because it matters in terms of how they deal with families. And so you have to make sure that, that entire group of people is appropriate as well. Absolutely. And that's why we always tell people to go vote. Yeah, always. (laughs) Voting is super important, especially this year. Like some people miss those two primary elections. So you still got one more. You got one in November. Like you definitely (laughs) have to go out and vote in November if you haven't voted. And I I, I commend you guys for doing that. And I think the biggest part of that is that um, I like to see people, because a lot of people go vote but they don't understand who they're voting for. for. So if you don't know who you're voting for, you can still be voting wrong. Right. Yeah. I was going to, um, I want, when we were talking about kind of the discipline thing, um, and I think we might be like pushing like the 30 minute, like time that we said we will stay under. But um, uh, as I feel like, as you know, society and like, you know, humanity grows and gets older and, you know, we kind of take back more of our power and more like our history, so to speak. I think that really opens up the doors for us to have more, um, you know, seats at the table, basically more like, you know, foundational structure that includes us and not just us as black people, but just like, you know, Hispanic people, Asian people, all these, you know, races that built America and that America wants to like, you know, pride itself on, you know, having all of these people need a seat at the table so they can all share their own, you know, um, viewpoints. and. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it, that's that's even hard to say because you don't want just one person representing, you know, a whole race of people because that one person, you know, experienced different things than, you know, the other, you know, same person. Every black person doesn't live the same life. Every Hispanic person mm-hmm. didn't cross the border. Like, you know, there's different, like, right. different, you know, personal things in everybody's life that set us apart. But I definitely do think, you know, things like bringing awareness to stuff that people don't realize go on every day, um, like in our CPS systems and you know, uh, class systems and, you know, different work, uh, you know, corporations and stuff like that. 
I feel like that does help, you know, implement the conversation, you know, of change. Um, so that's what I really hope that, you know, we got accomplished today. Like, I hope, you know, someone hears this and reaches out, you know, to us or to you. And it's like, okay, since you know this and you got the history and the experience, you know, here's what we can do next. You know, let's start that committee and, you know, get that independent branch set up to kind of watch, you know, what these DPS, uh, you know, people are doing. Um, I say I'm a lot. But uh, do you have anything <laughs> – Anything else, you know, that you kind of want to, like, to put the people on? Or do you have anything that you know of or heard of that could help or any ideas that you want to share? Um, honestly, I've just been um, – I'm just an advocate in general of child abuse awareness, and that's something that I want all people – um, like I said, reg regardless of whether you're black, white, Hispanic, it affects everybody across the board. Um, be mindful of, you know, just kids and their behavior. And especially now that they're coming back to school after this COVID thing, because a lot of kids were trapped at home with the people who abused them because school is an outlet sometimes yeah. to get away from that person or um, the time that we had to be in the house, you know, and maybe parents aren't working Um that creates a situation where abuse can happen because you're frustrated and, you know, that kid is there to take it out of. So I just encourage, you know, teachers, mentors, um, people in general, you know, just be mindful um, of the kids and make it a place where they feel like they're safe, um, not only to tell. And sometimes it, it takes us recognizing you know, because there are some um, in this system, there are some children who legitimately do get abused. Um, but if a person has been subjected to abuse for eight or 10 years, this six months or a year that I'm getting with this um, therapist who, again, doesn't even understand me, it's going to take me six months just to open up to you. Right. For us to begin yeah, to talk to about talk any about. sort of abuses. And so. You know, sometimes kids aren't making like these immediate elaborate outcries and they think that um, they should go back home with the kids because sometimes there are times where children are sent back home and they shouldn't be. So it's again, you know, there's these laws that put you in a rock and a hard place in that some of them allow you to overuse your power to remove children and break up families. But then you have other laws that prevent you from being able to keep a child safe because you can't do what you need to do because legally they're still within these boundaries, but you're looking at this child who you're like, something is going on there because you are exhibiting behavior of someone who's traumatized. So, you know, CPS and, and I commend everyone who still works there because it is an absolutely difficult job to do because you have to work through so many things um, and so many dynamics, but definitely just, uh, people in general be aware um, of different things and, and on alert and making sure that you're someone who's willing and able to intervene if you think that something's happening. Thank you. Right. And we applaud you too. 19 years. That's a yes, long time a long to be time dealing time with a lot of stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. people now, they don't even want to work at a restaurant for six months. So it's like you <laughs> right. 19 years dealing with CPS. Like that, you know, that's commendable. That's really, you know, and then now you're here today, you know, speaking out and kind of helping change it so they can continue to do good work and better me work. myself I'm leaving I, I left CPS so that I could be a foster parent and just I thought I could be better served at making a home for kids who don't have one there's a lot of them like you know encourage I do encourage people that if you're wanting to be a foster uh, parent for a child 
um, get out there and get the information from the different agencies that are available because there are a lot of people who they need a safe place to live. And, you know, don't let whatever your circumstances, you might be single or, um, you know, in a same-sex couple, none of those things matter. If you want a foster parent, get out there and foster some kids. Right. And also, if you are a parent that is in need of help, don't be afraid to tell someone that you need help. Uh, we want to make that very clear. The purpose of this episode was not to bash anybody or make anybody's uh, situation more or less than anyone else's. So if there's a situation that you have going on and you absolutely need help, you absolutely need to speak out, find the resources that are available to you to help you and your children. Um, and just everybody, like, bring back community. I think that's something that we all can work on, not just black people, not just, you know, white people. Everybody bring back the sense of community that we used to mm -hmm. have. And I feel like that is going to be the antidote to a lot of the issues that we have going on right now. Love over hate. <laughs> I yeah. agree. We can all work together. And we all have the ability to raise our, our kids together to, you know, kind of abolish that way of thinking in terms of black, white, you know, love is free and it's for everybody, so. You got anything else? Nope, I'm good. All right, as always, um, thank you, Miss Michelle. Thank you again. guys thank you for, for having me. Today. Yeah, thank you, of course. Um, Stories of the Streets is an association with, you know, Change Waco, the New Black Collective, and Black Scent, and Rogue Media. Can't forget about, you know, Rogue Media. Um, yes, uh, you can always listen to us on Spotify, and we will be on Apple Music soon. Um, so look for us and stories of the streets. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.